everybody. Welcome into the I Want to Know podcast. I am your host, Greg Jones, and I'm still the one leading you on that inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Welcome back, everybody, to I Want to Know. I know I took some time off, and I apologize for that, but quite honestly, I need a little refresher. So uh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling refreshed. I think things are going to be good. I need you to find some new guests to entertain you with. So I think I've done that. So for the first show back from our little hiatus, I want to talk about mental illness. Uh, I have Mike Vini joining me in just a couple of few. He speaks on mental illness. He's a sufferer of mental illness himself. And I thought, what better way to start the year off than with something a little um, constructive? Get the word out there, help break the stigma. And why not make, uh, you know, breaking the stigma or bettering yourself or something around this subject? Why don't you make that your New Year's resolution? There's nothing wrong with bettering yourself, no matter what area of life that is. So anyways, uh, thank you all once again for sticking with the show through a little break. As always, IWantToKnowShow.com is there for you. If there's anything that we talked about, links or anything like that on the show, whether it's Mike or any other guest, you can go to that guest section on the webpage there, and I have all the links or, or whatever you may need. Uh, so please check that out. I encourage you all to talk with me, to interact. It's on Twitter, I Want to Know Show. Facebook, I Want to Know Show. And as always, I tell you, please email me, I Want to Know Pod at gmail.com. So thanks again for everybody uh, sticking with the show through our little break. I hope 2017 is a fantastic year, not only for the podcast, but for you guys as well. Let's work on bettering everything. Anyways, enough of that. I am talking with Mike Vini. He was in and out of psychiatric hospitals, expelled from multiple schools, suicide attempts, medication, instability. These are just a few of the ways to describe Mike's childhood. Now, Mike is a mental health speaker, has given TEDx talks on the subject of mental health, and is also leading corporate events in teamwork and motivation. I feel like this is only a tip of the Mike iceberg. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Greg, hello, and thank you for having me on your show, and hello to your listeners out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Thanks for taking the time. I know we've uh, been scheduling this for quite some time, so I'm glad we yes. finally made it work. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, yes. Before we get into questions, let me just tell everybody, if you're, and I'll tell you again at the end of the show, if you're looking to find Mike, you can get him at transformingstigma.com. He's on Twitter, at Mike Vini, and it's V-E-N-Y. Same with Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so, Mike, let's get right into it. I, I was reading some of your bio. Uh, you have quite the childhood growing up, uh, suicide attempts, mental hospitals. What was what was your childhood like? What was that about? Oh, my childhood was was great, actually, but it was also challenging. I had a lot of behavior problems. Mm-hmm. I, I really was just struggling to uh, keep it together emotionally and, 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 and keep my behavior in control. And this was something that I struggled with for so many years, you know. And um, keep in mind, I had very good parents that did their absolute best to try to get me the help that I needed mm-hmm. as a child. But still, I was always stuck and, and falling back down in the sense that I couldn't just behave like a quote-unquote normal child. And for instance, one of the challenges that I have that – you know, believe it or not, I still do. I just don't act out the same way. Is sometimes I get so overwhelmed with anger that it takes over my body, which 
it can be for days or weeks with just anger going at full intensity nonstop. And as hmm. a child, I, I would just act out. So I could be in school and I would just start becoming uh, physical, going into a rage, punching things, trying to hurt people. Or, you know, at home I would do that with my parents and, and that wasn't very good to do. And, and that would, was one of the reasons I got expelled and, and went into hospitals. And nowadays I'm, I'm 37 years old and I'm proud to say that I don't act out physically anymore. I don't get into any kinds of rages, but I'll find myself just stuck in bed for days because I'm just so angry and I can't do anything else because I'm so angry and it overtakes me. Interesting. Is there anything specific that triggers the anger or does it come out of nowhere? You know, sometimes I think it comes out of nowhere, but what I'm learning in therapy, because I still go to therapy, is that when I do the forensic work after the fact, I can always find a trigger, but we're still in the process of discovering what my triggers are. And for a lot of people, you know, triggers, for those of you that are listening, are, are things that can initiate some kind of response. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be something that initiates anxiety or initiates depression or, or whatever that is. And, and for me, a lot of my triggers are very subtle. They're not like a big traumatic thing that can happen, but it could be a simple thought process that happens that I start thinking about something a certain way and, and I just spiral downwards. So it really varies, but it's important for all people to learn what their triggers are. And I'm still in the process of learning that. And I don't know about you, but I know that if I'm angry at something and I realize it's stupid, the fact that I'm angry over something stupid makes me angrier. <laughs> Does that ever well, come into play? Well, that, that just happens on a daily basis, actually. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, uh, no, actually, I mean, I appreciate you saying that because what, what you're saying is you realize what the anger is and, and it can become a downward spiral for you. I guess I do go through some of that, but even if I realize it's something stupid – it's just like the anger lingers there with me. And I don't even know what I was angry at initially after a few days. So that's how deep, deep it gets with me. Wow. That must be, I guess I'd say frustrating, but you're already angry. So I guess, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so back to you as a, as a child growing up, I mean, were you diagnosed? What was your diagnosis? If so, one of the diagnoses that I got was obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay. Um, anxiety, depression, and believe it or not, I got diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. What I have found from therapists, though, is that there is no possible way to diagnose a child with narcissistic personality disorder <laughs> um, because we're still like developing our personality. Right? Aren't all kids so, kind of narcissists? I, I think so. You know, most kids and kids and pets. That's what I've discovered. Oh, definitely pets. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so I've had many diagnoses, and one of the beautiful things about my current therapist is she refuses to diagnose me. She refuses hmm. to do that and just allows me to work out my issues as they come out, and we work at them in different layers. That's kind of nice, and there's no labeling or anything. Correct, and, and I think that sometimes you know it's important to have a label on things, and sometimes you know these issues you can't always put into a jar and say, this is what's going on here. You know, we're still trying to understand the human brain and human beings are just complex. You know? yeah. yeah. And when you say you have OCD, I mean, are we talking like you'll go and check the, the door to make sure it's locked eight times or? Yeah. One of the uh, 
issues that I'm dealing with. So I'm actually uh, talking to you from my hotel room in California, Sacramento. Nice. And I, uh, you know, I travel a lot and I'm here for a few days and I put my toiletries in the bathroom, which includes a toothbrush. And for some reason, whenever I go to the bathroom, I have a tendency to just want to brush my teeth. Um, hmm. And it's something that I've dealt with for a while. I go through two brushes like several a week sometimes. And, you know, I have to stop myself from that. I realize that that's just something, a compulsion that I keep gravitating towards. So um, it is things like that, like making sure the door is locked several times. And it's something that I've grown to accept about myself. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I had a, a friend or have a friend that he, before he leaves the house, he'll actually go back usually three or four times to make sure it's locked. Yeah. It's, well, is it necessarily a bad thing though? Because we can also argue that, you know, that, that friend is thorough in, in double and triple checking certain things that need to be double and triple checked. That's very true. He's not doing anything harmful per se. Yeah. Um, all right. So what treatments as a kid did you receive? Well, Number one, I received therapy. I went to several different psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, my parents sent me to all types of, of counselors. And believe it or not, being in a, a mental hospital actually gave me some very intense treatment because I was in there for you know minimum of, of three weeks to, to six months. And I would have to be on a structured day of going to group therapy and talking to a uh, therapists and social workers. So that actually probably really helped me as much as I don't like to say that because no kid or no person wants to be in a mental hospital. It's not a right. happy place uh, to be. But I think that really helped. Nowadays, I am actually on no pharmaceutical medication. And for those of you that are listening, if you are on medication, uh, please stay on it. Don't. That does not mean you should go off your medication. Right. Um, everything should be done with the guidance of a trained professional, a doctor that you go to. Um, but for me, what I decided with my therapist and, and, and myself is that I was going to go the route of no medication and just try to take care of myself through exercise and, and therapy and group therapy and, and good friends. That's a good way to handle it. I, I know you, obviously nobody should jump off their medication on listening to this, but do you think that nowadays, and it seems especially with children, but are people over-medicated when they come in for mental issues? I Here's how I want to answer this. Um, yes and no. Um, I think we are a culture, and this could be a totally different episode for us <laughs> here on your show. We're a culture that wants solutions to yes. problems fast. So if let's just take your car, for instance, your car breaks down, it keeps breaking down. You need it to get to work. You just want to get the car fixed. You don't want an explanation from the mechanic about what the history of the problem is. You just want to pay someone to get it fixed and get it over with so your car can work. And the problem is most of us in this society address problems that way. We just want to fix it. And when it comes to mental health, Many times people go to therapists with the intention on just give me something so I can get rid of the symptoms of the, the mental or emotional pain that I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, people like to blame mental health professionals, but I, I say it's a cultural thing that we all do. We like to just get rid of symptoms fast. The challenge is, though, to really find healing and recovery in mental health issues, 
it's about a process, not a destination. It's not a one-time visit where you get some medication and, and get on the right track. It's a process of uncovering layers about yourself and learning about yourself. And I would think that the ultimate goal would to get off the medication, not just because you don't want to be on medication, but that means you've kind of, uh, I don't want to say fixed yourself, but fixed yourself. Well, possibly for some people, their mental health issues are chemical, you know, meaning that there is a chemical imbalance in the brain. Sure. And just like any other kind of chemical imbalance in the body, that can cause real harm if it's not brought into balance. So for some people with mental health challenges, let's just take depression, the body might be not producing a certain type of chemical. There needs to be a medication there to help get that chemical to them. So Yes, the goal can be to get off medication, but I think the overall goal is to really find the right treatment plan that works for you long term and that's healthy for you. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid, I mean, suffering through this, this was, you know, coming up on 30 years ago, or actually it was 30 years ago. Sorry to call that one out. That's uh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how much differently do you think it would be handled now if you were a child? Because I feel like advances in mental health treatment have skyrocketed in that amount of time. That's a great question. I think I might not have been hospitalized, number one. Uh, there's a lot of community programs, especially where um, I grew up now, that would have been probably a nice alternative for me to get involved with in order to help um, contain my behavior and give me some better skills. Uh, the other thing is that people are talking about it more. And, you know, back then, I mean, we're still struggling to transform the stigma surrounding it you know absolutely and that's that's why i'm doing the work that i'm doing but back then i mean 30 years ago it, it was still a taboo thing you know people don't want to share that they are struggling with mental health challenges although everyone listening to this show right now either has struggled with someone or or struggled themselves you know with a mental health issue mm -hmm. yeah big or small everyone's got something oh yeah absolutely um, how did you self-medicate as a child? You talked about, you know, cutting or, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Is that like a form of self-medication? Yes. And for any of you who are listening, um, I'm just going to call it self-harm. Sometimes people uh, don't like the word cutting because that's too triggering for certain people. So okay. uh, I, I'm going to say self-harm, um, though I do sometimes use the term cutting. But, but self-harm, is, is a problem in this world and people do it all the time of all ages. And I want to explain something right now. If anyone's listening and is self-harming, number one, you need to stop doing it right now and really get help. Like seriously, stop doing it and get help. For people who are listening who might know someone who is self-harming or might want to just learn more about why people do it, there are three reasons that I found. Number one is self-medicating, as you just said, Greg. And for me, what happened was by self-harming, I would actually use physical pain to take away my emotional pain. That's how bad the emotional pain was for wow. me, that I needed to harm myself just to calm some of it down. And it, it's really, really difficult. It's really, really difficult. Number two, believe it or not, some people self-harm as an addiction. It's, it's a form of addiction. Um, I to be very transparent with you and your audience, I go into a drugstore to buy razors to shave with. Sometimes my eyes linger too long in the razor section, staring at razors that I don't need, thinking I need to buy them, because, again, I 
had a habit of doing that in the past. And sometimes that still comes up in my brain. And for the record, I don't self-harm anymore. I still have razors, but again, I I linger sometimes a little too long in CVS and Walgreens in that section, and I have to get out. The third reason people self-harm is some people just think it's cool. And that one... I don't really get, but you know, everyone's got to do their thing, I guess. So (laughs) sorry for that long answer on that, but yeah, that's, that's what I did to self-medicate. That's, that's so interesting. And if you don't mind talking about it, it's, you said you attempted suicide at one point as a child. Yeah. Um, I was in fifth grade, actually, I was 10 years old and, um, wow. You know, go back to what I said before, when you're in emotional pain, sometimes it's so overwhelming that you just want to get rid of it. And for a lot of people want to see something about suicide. There's a lot of different perspectives on it. Some people say it's selfish and I understand that perspective. It's selfish. But one thing you have to remember is that we are people who like to solve our problems. Go back to what I said about the car situation. You want to get your car fixed. And when you are overwhelmed and in emotional pain, sometimes you're desperate for a solution. And sometimes your brain just simply goes to the best thing would be for me to be dead because I can't take this anymore. And that's a reality. People don't like to hear that, but that's a reality for many people who attempt and complete suicide. And so for me, I just came home one day from school and I, I couldn't take it anymore. I, I just, I was done. I was done. I couldn't take it anymore. The, the emotional pain every day. And you know, it physically wears you down. I mean, even now, sometimes I feel like I got beat up. My body feels like I got beat up yeah. because of how painful my depression is. And so when I came home one day from school, I went to the medicine cabinet and just decided to uh, overdose on all of my uh, psychiatric medication. And if it wasn't for my mother finding me and getting me quickly to the hospital to get my stomach pumped, I would not be talking to you today. That's so crazy to to think about just a 10 year old doing that. I mean, that's, it's crazy and it's sad. And and hopefully people listening don't just think I like gory details of somebody trying to kill themselves. Hopefully they realize that there's a message in all this and, uh, you know, trying to break the stigma of some of this stuff. Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's a very, there's something called like, you know, some uh, suicidal ideation where sometimes just people have thoughts of dying. What, what would it be like if I died? And, and, and that is a normal thing. You know, sometimes we all think about that. But sure. once we start planning it in our head, once we start taking steps towards it, that's when it becomes a problem. But the reality is you can't see what's going on in anyone else's brain, you know? Right. So if you're having those thoughts, I can't see it. But the important thing, I, I think, it, the important part of all this is to encourage people listening if you are struggling with an issue or you know someone who is, talk about it. Risk having the uncomfortable conversation and talking about it because you can save someone's life. And if you're thinking about suicide, you don't want to do that because it will destroy so many people's lives uh, like more than you can imagine if you take your own life. Absolutely. Um, moving to adulthood, adulthood excuse me, um, in your mm-hmm. TED Talk – by the way, how, how was that experience doing a TED Talk? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was it was surreal. Um, fun, funny thing was, when I got on stage, Greg, I, all I thought about was being a child in, in the fourth grade in a mental hospital. That's all I thought about. Huh. And um, 
I don't remember what I said, how it came out. And once I was done, I remember needing to um, be by myself in a room and just calm down emotionally. But it was pretty powerful. And uh, I hope that people gain something from my TEDx talk. Yeah, hopefully so. I mean, it was a really good talk. And one of the nice things about yours and many other TEDx talks is you pack a lot of info into a small amount of time. So you, you can kind of ingest it where, you know, some things like, oh, here's an hour and a half. Well, I can't watch that while I'm at work. I can only yeah. sneak away for seven minutes. Well, that's that's why I tried to keep mine nice and short because I said, you know what? People are busy. Let me just get right to the point and uh, see if I can challenge myself to do that. Yeah. One of the things you said is that today you still struggle with your mental health, and we, we've talked about that already so far, your OCD, your anger. Um, when these things are coming on, like, do you, can you see them kind of coming on from a half mile away, or is it just like, snap, it's there? Great question. Yes, I know. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. And, you know, sometimes they just catch me by surprise, and next thing I know, you know, I'm, I'm just dealing with depression all day and just trying to focus. And sometimes I can see it possibly coming but for the most part i can't and um you know i've given up trying to predict when it's gonna happen (laughs) like it it doesn't work but the thing that i try to do is have strategies in place now so when i am depressed um i let people know you know i let friends know and if you're my friend and and you want to talk to me because i'm depressed and i don't want to talk i say no i don't want to talk right now and i'll call you when i'm ready to talk Mm -hmm. And, and and i'm learning to communicate that and the the loving people in my life are starting to understand me and, and be able to support me. And that is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. It must be nice. Cause I'm sure at first it's like, Oh, fine. Then I won't talk to you either. Yeah. Um, one of the things you said is that mental illness is an asset. Can you explain mm-hmm. that a little bit more? You know, this is one, I, first of all, it's a very controversial thing that I just said right there because there are many people who are struggling with it that see it as a burden because that is all it has been for them. Right. And to any of those people listening, my heart goes out and I'm not in any way saying that you're wrong or, or, or devaluing you when it comes to my experience and the experience of certain other people. Um, I have learned to see mental illness as an asset because it taught me to learn about myself. It taught me to go to therapy with a curiosity, not trying to get rid of symptoms, to, to, to learn about why, why am I feeling this way? You know, why am I hurting so much? And through that, Greg, I have learned just so many cool things about my perspective on the world, about my life growing up, about little quirks that I have that bother me, fears that I have, dreams that I have. So the reason I encourage people to go to therapy is not even just for mental health issues, but for self-discovery. And that's where I believe mental illness can be an asset if you choose to approach it with a curiosity for self-discovery. Absolutely. What are, I mean, other than the fact that, you know, you have anger problems and you have OCD, what are some of the things you've learned about yourself by going to therapy? One of the big things that I've learned is that I have masculinity issues. Okay. I'm saying that right up here on your show. <laughs> and what does that mean? Um, I think this is an issue for a lot of men. We don't know how to really deal with women in this world. And absolutely, that, it, it comes out in so many negative ways. It comes out as aggression. 
It comes out, um, you know, with, with assault and things like that. And for me, it comes out as depression. You know, when I, uh, struggle with power issues, even just, you know, in, in a workplace setting with women. And I realized that all came from my upbringing with my mom. And so that is one of the triggers to my depression. And through learning that I struggle with masculinity issues, I've actually been able to take steps to feel more secure as a man and define a healthier masculinity for myself. Had I not been open to curiosity and seen my mental illness as an asset, I would have never gotten that far. Interesting. And that's, I'm sure a lot of, uh, a lot of men could use that sort of self-reflection. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you know, men, men, men really struggle with depression and it comes out as anger. It comes out as aggression. And it's like, there's a real stigma from a man saying that, that he's sad and, and, and wants to talk about his feelings. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm trying to do the work I do is because I'm a man. I want to feel a sense of masculinity and, and, and masculine pride. And at the same time, you know, I, I've got emotional issues. You know, I'm in a lot of pain and it's okay. And it doesn't make me less of a man. Yeah, because I would say if uh, you know you you told your other man friend that you were feeling depressed today, a lot of times you get a well, don't be such a girl. Yes, <laughs> or, or or man up, right? Or you know, yeah. But the cool thing is, you know, and I appreciate you saying that because I have some guy friends who've gotten to know me very well, very masculine men who say, "Oh, you're depressed? Let's go hang out. Let's talk about it." And I can go to the bar with these guys, sit there, grab a drink, and talk about what's on my mind, and it's okay. And so that's where I think men need to get to as a society, you know, that place of comfort with talking about their feelings. Yeah, even if you're doing uh, manly activities, I know I've gone through, you know, say breakups and stuff, and we've gone and played basketball, but talked while we're playing basketball. Yep. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Um, So why do you think, and this is going to be a loaded question, but why do you think there is such a stigma around mental health issues? Well, I think there's a few reasons for that. Number one, we are a society that is very tribal. Like pe- people are tribal by nature. Even if you're an introvert, we all still long to be part of groups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as kids, when we were in kindergarten, one of the ways that kids knew who was in the group and not in the group was by labeling somebody the weird one. You know, so maybe you and I had Nikes, but Joe had Reeboks. We would say Joe's the weird <laughs> one. And nobody wanted to be the weird one. And, and this is, again, this is how kids socialize and learn to feel part of a group. And we bring that with us throughout our lives. And nobody, even as an adult, wants to be the weird one. So that's one of the reasons for stigma. The other reason I found is that we are a society that's all about success. Even if you're lazy, you want to still be successful at some level. And there's something about the subject of mental health that people draw this connotation of weakness, that, that it's, it's mm-hmm. about being weak or less of a person. And that is what contributes to the stigma. It really seems to go back to kind of the, the caveman side of our brains. You know, you're, <laughs> you're, I mean, if you think about like, oh, you're weak, so you can't, uh, you know, hunt or gather things as well. And it seems like yep. it's just, it's, it's come up to now, but now we're just making fun of your Reeboks. Exactly. <laughs> and that caveman brain, you know, is in us, so much, regardless of how much we've evolved as a society. Yeah, as much as we try to pretend it's not there, it's it's still there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, all right, so let's let's do a hypothetical. 
if you were named the mental health czar or mental health leader of the country, you know, something like that, um, what would be something you would do to address the shortage of mental health treatment in the country? Well, one of the first things that I would do is make it very clear that there needs to be a campaign around messaging, encouraging people just to talk about it. Because, you know, even if as the mental health czar <laughs> that, that you, just, <laughs> you just appointed me to, um, even if I put programs in place, even if I had unlimited funding to do that, if people aren't ready to talk about it, it doesn't matter. So I believe that it's really important for my role as this hypothetical mental health czar is to encourage people to make it a normal part of conversation and even work with other departments in the government, such as education, to make it a normal part of conversation in the classroom, mm -hmm. things like that. So again, that's not really a financial thing as much as it is a messaging thing that needs to become normal. Do you think, you know, uh, Angelina Jolie got her double mastectomy and everyone's like, oh, she's a hero. Everyone should go get checked out for breast cancer. Do you think having a celebrity behind some sort of mental health push would help things out? Absolutely. I think, I think a lot of celebrities have been coming out a little bit more with it. And I know that some of them had some breakdowns lately and, and, and that has come out. But I think, you know, it's kind of like the common cold, Greg. It's like maybe 500 years ago, you and I would have been on, well, we wouldn't have had a podcast then. We would have maybe <laughs> met at, 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 the local, uh, at the local park and people would have come to hear us talk to each other. Right. And, and, and 500 years ago, maybe having a common cold, there was a stigma around it. You know, I'd be on your, your show in the park talking about the fact that I have had a cold right. for a few weeks. And you lived. And, yeah, I lived. And, and I'm not less of a man because of it. And I'm up there crying in the park with you because of my cold. Well, you know, that might seem silly because having a cold is normal. Everyone gets it. That's where we need to get to with mental health, where it's not this special topic. It's just like, oh, yeah, you know, people have depression all the time. Okay, let's work with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What can, uh, I don't want to say a normal person, but what can the average person do to, to help uh, spread this around? I think the first thing is to put it in normal conversation and don't treat it as a special conversation. Talk about it in places that you go to, like work, like the bar, you know, wherever you go. Just just talk about it. Make it make it normal. You know, that's number one. Number two, I really encourage people to get therapy. Everyone who's listening to this show. Yes, you heard me. I said it. You <laughs> should get therapy. And here's why. When you get therapy, you start to have self-discovery happen at a whole new level. And I promise you that you're going to get something amazing out of it. It's just going to give you a deeper understanding of yourself and others. Absolutely. Um, seems like a big problem with the whole mental health stigma or not even stigma as much as lack of treatment is jails, jailing people. I feel like uh, a lot of people are jailed in place of getting mental health services, you know, like, like homeless people and, and that kind of uh -huh. thing. You know, a lot of homeless people are just have severe mental health issues. Some, yes, they lost their job two months ago and, and the, they'll be out for a few more months, but they'll get back on their feet. It seems like mental health though is a very predominant uh, cause of homelessness. Is there anything that can be done to help that situation out? Well, I totally agree with you, first of all, that, that I should say jail is, I think, the largest mental health institution in the country. Absolutely. And there's a fine line that law enforcement and government 
walks with this. And, and here, here's that fine line is that, yes, people do need more mental health treatment. We, we can all agree that some people are jailed who should have better mental health treatment. The problem happens to be with when someone engages in criminal actions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've had to learn to realize for myself is that regardless of my issues, I can't use my issues as an excuse for behavior. You know, so if, if let's just say I, I was uh, suffering with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. uh, a really, really intense case of schizophrenia, and, and, and I come up to you and just punch you, okay? Right. Yeah, yes, I should have gotten more help, but I have also committed assault. And, you know, in the end of the day, just saying that, oh, I just need mental health treatment can't be just, you know, the way I get off the hook. And for a lot of people, yes, they do need mental health treatment. At the same time, you know, we can't tolerate uh, bad behavior and criminal behavior and just say, oh, yeah, they just need mental health treatment. So I think it's a fine line that people are walking. But the beautiful thing that's happening in our world is we are having this conversation more. So hopefully we're going to find a healthier solution for everybody. Yeah. And hopefully uh, this isn't meant to be a bash on police. Hopefully they receive more training how to handle mental health situations. Yes, I totally agree with you. And no, it's not a bash on police at all. And police, you know, I, I see both sides of the police issue, the issue nobody wants to talk about, right? Like, you know, for, for a police officer, they are, uh, they, they are in some tough situations where they got to make some really fast decisions. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know how they do it. You know, I, I have a great respect for law enforcement, for the, for the work that they do to protect us. And I actually believe that most people who are in Law enforcement are in it for the right reasons, but mm-hmm. just like any group of people, you get a few bad apples that ruin it for everybody. Right, those are the ones know? that make the news. The ones that make the news that that you know do something that's just you know j- just really shouldn't be done. But I do believe that yes, they do need better training. They do need better support, and you know people need to have better dialogue with law enforcement. I think that's really really important because you know what things are so tense right now that police officers are nervous to pull someone over yeah. you know they, they don't know what's going to happen to them so everyone's on edge so this will only get worse unless people are willing to have uncomfortable conversations with each other absolutely um what is one thing you would say to someone who is quietly suffering with mental illness i would say Number one, you are not alone, although it may feel that way. I would also say, number two, that there really is hope. There is, there is real hope. Things can get better and they will get better. But you have to take the uncomfortable step of reaching out. And I know that's hard. And I know I'm making it sound easy because <laughs> right. I'm here on the show just talking about it. And I don't know what's going on in your head. But I really encourage you to take that first step of talking about it. And even if it doesn't fix things overnight, just keep at it. Just keep at it and keep at it. And I promise you it will slowly get better over time. Maybe make that your New Year's resolution. Great resolution. There we go. Uh, If you don't mind, I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about the corporate stuff you do. Sure. Um, So I was was perusing, some may call it stalking your website, um, 
and you do drum circles with corporate clients. Yes, I do. Talk about that. Um, what is that about? Well, you know, in summary, one of the things that actually has helped me with my mental health issues was drumming. Okay. And so for many years, I was a professional drummer before I even started speaking. And what I do with corporate America is I do staff trainings, team building, professional development with drumming, teaching adults how to better connect with each other. Because you know what? Mental health issues and people issues go hand in hand. In fact, you can't have one with the other, without sure. the other. So, you know, one of the things that I do is teach people in the workplace how to get better results and achieve better profits through learning to work together. And adults, even if you've got a, a, a really good college degree and had a lot of experience in the world, we, we just have trouble with basic kindergarten skills, you know, yes. like we really do. <laughs> and so basically I bring some kindergarten skills back to the workplace that we should have learned, but we just didn't. And that's okay. And <laughs> really try to work on them to remind people about the importance of working together. I like that. Um, so you were a professional. Did you tour with anybody? Did you record? I did some recording. I was mainly in New York city and doing corporate events and private parties and things like that. And it was a really it's a really cool time in my life, you know, because the interesting thing about uh, being a professional musician is a lot of people think you're a professional if you toured with like a big name act. Right. And that is actually probably a small percentage of professional musicians. The vast majority of professionals are actually behind the scenes making albums, making soundtracks and, and, and things like that. But it was a really cool time in my life and it taught me a lot about working with people and and working with myself, and I still do play uh, when I'm available, and uh, can 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 do uh, performances, and it's something I actually miss. You know, I have my drumsticks actually right here in my hotel room, so I can play on the pillow later and do some exercises. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that's that's been a big part of my life, and so I did a lot of work in New York City. Nice. And when you, I've seen that you go to schools also. I mean, is your message there about you know? teamwork like it is with corporate America or is it more about mental health? What do you, what do you do with schools? Both actually. So sometimes schools hire me to do interactive drumming and help students build community. And it's really good for students, especially elementary school. I really like working with them the best with the drumming. They seem to really take it the most seriously and get the most out of it. Hmm. And I also do mental health presentations in school. Um, actually I'm here in Sacramento. As I said, two days ago, I was at Whitney high school in Rockland, Speaking to 1,900 high school students in a gym, I had their attention wow. for 45 minutes. That's pretty uh, good. Tom, yeah, no, I, I was lucky, and they they were super quiet, super respectful, and uh, laughed at my jokes with me, which made me feel good. <laughs> but you know, really, my my big message to them was to be intentional about self care and stress management. Which again, mental health issues and stress issues kind of sometimes cross lines with each other. Absolutely. So thanks again, Mike. Uh, you can find him at transformingstigma.com, Mike Vini on Twitter, and that's V E N Y, same as Facebook and Instagram. Mike, thanks for joining me today to not only take the time, but to, to help spread the word about something that's pretty important. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you once again to Mike Vini for joining us. Uh, if you need help remembering that last name, the one thing he told me before we started the interview is that it rhymes with weenie. So there you have it. 
F-E-E-N-Y. I told him it reminded me of Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. So either way, you need to remember it. Uh, you have your choices there. Anyways, transformingstigma.com is where you find him and his work. He's on social media. It's all at Mike Vini or slash Mike Vini, whatever social media you're on. You can find us, I want to know show.com. Our social medias are all I want to know show. Whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yes, we're on Instagram. And you can send an email, I want to know pod at gmail.com. Coming at you with some good interviews in 2017. Cannot wait to share those with you. So in the meantime, please keep tweeting and emailing and all that good stuff. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night.